Dancing has been a pastime of ours since the dawn of man. To the ceremonial dances of sub-Saharan Africa, to the elegant royal balls of medieval Europe, to the dance marathons of the roaring twenties, to your drunk uncle in the corner of the wedding. There's no denying dancing is a universal human pastime. Unless you're the villains of Footloose or something. This is a story of dancing, but taken to its psychological extreme. My name is Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. Episode 2, Still, They Danced. It wasn't easy living in the Holy Roman Empire in 1518, especially if you were a peasant. We think income inequality is bad now, but it's nothing compared to the income inequality of the Middle Ages. Peasants endured all sorts of hardship, with nearly every ounce of the fruits of their labor going to nobles who didn't even know the definition of toil. Mrs. Truffaut was one such peasant. We know precious little about her life, but we do know that she started a movement that turned deadly. Mrs. Truffaut stepped out of the inn and into the dusty road. To her side, the ragged innkeeper poured slop into a trough as squealing pigs surrounded him. Across the road, an undertaker was digging graves for the victims of the latest plague. The weak cries of a baby can be heard from down the street. In the middle of the road, a large man, as fat as feudalism could allow, struggled to get his horse pointed in the right direction. Mrs. Truffaut paid him no attention and walked right past. And in the midst of all this medieval misery, in the middle of the main street of Strasbourg, Mrs. Truffaut decided it was time to dance. Mrs. Truffaut flailed her arms wildly, dancing to a tune in her head, or no tune at all. We don't know how the townsfolk reacted at first. We don't know if this was classic Mr. Truffaut, or if this was way out of the ordinary for a woman like her. But we do know that after a while, others joined her. They simply stopped whatever they were doing and joined Mrs. Truffaut in this mad dance. Many noted that the dancers did not seem to be enjoying themselves. Their actions seemed almost involuntary. Mrs. Truffaut and a few others danced through the day. The sun began to set, and still they danced through the night and into the next morning. The townsfolk rose with the sun to begin the day's work, but were perplexed to see half a dozen people now, all madly dancing, flailing, spinning, leaping, shaking, twisting. Most shook their heads and continued with the day's work, but some, for whatever reason, decided to join in too. That afternoon, the peasants returned from their fields, eager to escape the summer sun. Still, the dancing group grew ever larger. By this point, townsfolk were worried. Many tried to talk to the dancers, simply asking why. Why were they dancing? More importantly, why wouldn't they stop? The dancers' only response was blank stares and flailing limbs. The dancers, now 15 in total, continued their strange dance into the night. The next morning, even more people had joined in. And now people were starting to drop. The dancers, who had now clocked in over 48 hours of dancing, began to collapse from exhaustion. 
Some were left where they lie, while others were carried inside to be helped. As soon as they were revived, they hurried back outside to continue dancing. Friends and family members began to force-feed the dancers food, having to pin them down just to force them some water. The afflicted remained in their trance-like state and sought only to dance. The priest of Strasbourg even had to cancel church because too many of his parishioners were dancing in the street. The city council of Strasbourg realized that they had a full-fledged epidemic on their hands, and they requested aid from local authorities, dukes and barons from their neck of the Holy Roman Empire. I'd imagine some aristocracy scoffed at the idea of a group of their peasants refusing to stop dancing in the streets, but they decided to send help. They sent several physicians, or at least the medieval equivalent, to investigate. When they arrived in Strasbourg, the dancers had been dancing for almost a week, and there didn't seem to be any indication that they planned on stopping soon. With difficulty, the physicians examined their flailing patients. I'd imagine it was like trying to get someone's pulse as they were having a seizure. They quickly ruled out supernatural causes and deemed it to be a case of hot blood. Now, hot blood was actually a common diagnosis in those times. Medieval medicine was not much to look at in 1518, and any fever symptoms were often simply labeled hot blood. The common cure for hot blood was bloodletting, which normally involved placing leeches all over the patient's body. Now, it's notoriously hard to place leeches on flailing limbs, so the physicians offered a strange alternative cure, more dancing. We have no idea how they came to this conclusion, but the city council did not bat an eye. They wasted no time in erecting a large dancing stage in the city square. Two weeks had passed since Mrs. Truffaut had started dancing in the street, and still they danced. Bards and musicians from all over the region flocked to Strasbourg to aid the dancers in relieving themselves of their hot blood. Musician fees were even listed on the city council's budget. By this point, a whole economy had developed around the dancing vigil in the town square. A guild hall was opened up for more room. The sun would set, and the sun would rise, and still, they danced. Three weeks after the dancing plague struck, a woman fell over. Now, this was not uncommon. In the past three weeks, countless people had passed out and had to be revived only to join back in with the afflicted dancers and re-enter the trance-like state once again. But this time was different. The woman wasn't breathing. She had died from exhaustion, and she was far from the first. Over the next few days, dozens more met the same fate. Apparently, the human body wasn't designed for non-stop movement for weeks straight. Dancers continued to drop, but the victims of the dancing plague didn't or couldn't mind. One estimate mentions upwards of 15 people dying of exhaustion every single day. And still, they danced. And then, they didn't. Slowly, the crowd began to dissipate, returning to their homes, their farms, their families. One month after Mrs. Truffaut stepped into the dusty street of Strasbourg, the dancing plague was over. It ended as mysteriously as it started. Now, there are many theories that try to explain what happened back in Strasbourg nearly 500 years ago, 
One possibility is contaminated wheat by a fungus known as ergot, which is highly hallucinogenic. That seems unlikely though, as the symptoms don't line up with those of a hallucinogen. Other theories range from seizures to demonic possession, but none of these explanations have many historians support. There is a theory that we seem to have settled on though. Historians and researchers now call what happened in Strasbourg in 1518 a mass psychogenic illness, or mass hysteria, which basically means we have no idea what caused the dancing plague. The same way we don't know what caused several nuns to meow like cats for days in the early Middle Ages, or why, in 1962, 95 girls in a boarding school in Tanzania began laughing and couldn't stop laughing for 16 days. Or why, in 1980, over 300 people in Hollandwell, England, suffered fainting spells for no reason other than their close vicinity to each other. We don't know why any of these things happened. All I know is the next time you feel the sudden urge to dance, you might want to think twice. Historium is a bi-weekly podcast devoted to telling interesting stories from history. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, follow Historium on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. I'm Jake Barton. Thanks for listening.